Beskar? Go ahead. It's real. This is only a down payment. I have a comptoner of Beskar waiting for you upon delivery of the asset. Alive? Yes, alive. Although I acknowledge that bounty hunting is a complicated profession. Welcome to the first episode of MandoVision, a Star Wars podcast. We are here because we love Star Wars, and that's what this podcast is all about. We are specifically focused on the Mandalorian series, streaming on Disney+. But that does not mean that we will not talk about Star Wars, the films, the Clone Wars cartoons, all these, all, everything all-encompassing Star Wars is, is open season on this podcast. But we are here specifically to talk about The Mandalorian, and now that the news is out, that Season 2 of The Mandalorian will be debuting October 30th, uh, it seemed like a good time, it seems like a good time to kind of go back and revisit the Season 1 of The Mandalorian. Uh, if you're like me, since, uh, since stay-at-home orders and, and quarantine and all that stuff kind of became part of our reality, I've gone back and rewatched The Mandalorian Season 1 several times because it is a... A fascinating and fun watch. Now, I should introduce myself real quick. My name is Tom. Thank you very much for being here, listening to this quality, independent Star Wars podcast. Uh, if you are, perhaps you are familiar with me from my other podcasts. You may know me from Beer Night in San Diego. And also you may know me from the TomCast podcast, the, the pop culture podcast that uh, I put my name on. Because it's my podcast, damn it. Uh, so yeah, we're here. This is a new chapter in, in our podcasting history, I suppose, as part of the Three Busy Network of Podcasts, and again, the emphasis here is on The Mandalorian and on Star Wars, uh, but if you, if you are a listener from the TomCast podcast, you may remember that I did, I already reviewed Season 1 of The Mandalorian, I did an episode-by-episode episode breakdown of, of every chapter, of every installment as it came out, and, you know, as I was reviewing, I'm sorry, as I, as I was re-watching season one of The Mandalorian, um, I became interested in the idea of going back and sort of reviewing my reviews. And so that's kind of what these first episodes of MandoVision are going to be. It's going to be going back into the original TomCast podcast reviews of The Mandalorian and, and kind of seeing what I maybe missed on or what I got wrong. And uh, that's good because I am a, I am a man with... with uh, with faults of my own, I can't get everything right. So it might be kind of fun to revisit some of the things and, and uh, discuss further some of the things that I may have missed. Or, you know, breaking down each single episode, you, you and knowing where the endpoint is, you can kind of look at things in a more contextual manner. And I think that's going to be a lot of fun. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to drop in basically the, the MP3, the, the original recording that I did post-episode one, post-chapter one. And we're going to listen to that review because one of the things I tried to do or tried to decide on was, well, should I just rewatch the episodes and do a new, whole new review from scratch? And I voted against it because 
I sort of like the enthusiasm in my voice <laughs> from the first time around. Uh, my my recording days for those episodes were, were very uh, different. Like I, I would I woke up very early in the morning so I could watch watch the episode for the first time. I think I was waking up around three thirty in the morning before I had to go to work. That was October doesn't feel that long. Ago. I'm sorry, it was November, I believe. Uh, that doesn't feel that long ago in a lot of ways, but almost in some ways it feels like a lifetime ago. So uh, I get up at three in the three thirty in the morning, watch the episode, go to work, kind of think about all the things on the episode. Uh, if if I was really interested in something like that, I would watch the episode again on my phone on my lunch break, uh, and then I would come home and watch the episode again, and then I would go into the review. And again, maybe there are things that I missed. Maybe there are things that I'm processing differently now. So I think it's going to give us a fun opportunity to kind of re-explore this first season of The Mandalorian and, and my initial review on it. So I hope you guys are in for that, in for that ride uh, because, again, October 30th, season two debuts, and we're going to have a lot more fun to, to kind of dive into and to discuss. So I'm going to plug that episode in in just a minute, but I did want to mention that as a new podcast, we are on social media and we are thirsty for followers we are at Mando underscore Vision on Instagram and Twitter. There will probably be an email address later on down the road. But for now, if you want to email the show, email uh, at TomCastPopCast at gmail.com. And that will be the best way to find me via email if you want to do something uh, longer than what Twitter allows. So again, thank you so much for coming on, the, on this journey with me, uh, with us. There will be guests at some point on the show, guest hosts, co-hosts. And, and we'll get a whole discussion going on. It'll be a lot, a lot of fun. Uh, but again, since we're just kind of building up to Season 2, let's dive back into Season 1 and kind of re-review not only those episodes, but my initial podcasts. And if you're a new listener to the show, uh, the first thing you're going to notice is uh, the audio quality is, is a little different than where we are right now on this podcast. And that's because uh, since, since November, uh, we've done a big upgrade at the TomCast podcast and here on Van Vision, we also reap those benefits. Uh, so yeah, you'll notice, especially when I when I'm inserting sound clips from the show, uh, I wasn't doing it at it at the quality level that we're doing it now. Uh, so you, you'll you'll notice that. But hey, we're moving up in the world. It does get better. <laughs> and here we go. All right, so here it is. I think that's enough of a, of a warning. Uh, let's dive into the show. Buckle up and enjoy Chapter One, The Mandalorian. Look, uh, there must be some mistake. I can get you more credits. I can bring you in warm. Or I can bring you in cold. Oh, shit! That was a clip from the very first episode of the new Disney Plus series, The Mandalorian. It happened. It's here. The Mandalorian is here. And I can't tell you how excited I am. The One of the main reasons why I do this show is because I've always wanted to have a show to talk about Star Wars on. But, but what show is that? Oh, hey! Welcome to issue 53 of 3BZine Presents Popcast, a.k.a. the Tomcast Popcast. I am your host. My name is Tom, and this is our very special episode dedicated to the first episode of The Mandalorian. I don't know if I'll say it that way the entire time we do this, this series, but right now I like saying The Mandalorian. It's a lot of fun. 
So the first episode, it's here. Disney Plus is here. Despite all the uh, glitchiness of the first day launch uh, on November 12th, I don't know if you were having the same problems I was having first thing in the morning um, on November 12th, but yeah, it was a bit glitchy. But it did not take long for them to uh, at least get us to the point where we could access the content, despite the fact that we couldn't really navigate the menus too easily at the time. But, hey... First thing in the morning, I'm, I was watching The Mandalorian, and I ended up being pretty damn happy about it. So let's get into this episode. And listen, I think we should say right off the bat, um, actually, before we get into the episode, there's a couple things we should probably talk about. Um, I'm going to get probably about as nerdy as I can possibly get with this, with with our, our covering of The Mandalorian series for the, for the podcast, because, um, you know, it's been mentioned before that I I am a Star Wars fan. Um, my fandom for Star Wars runs deep, real deep, and I am one of those guys. I, I read the books, I read the all the comics, everything like that. I know the continuity, I know the history of the mythology, I know the stuff they don't talk about in the films, and um, I don't share that in public very often because it doesn't it it does not allow me to make friends very often because uh, they know that I'm just just the uber dork, and that's okay. So I, I keep it I keep it to myself and I save it for you guys. So when it comes to this podcast, it just bubbles out of my mouth so much. I'm I'm like frothing. I can't wait to talk about this stuff with you guys today. It's gonna be so much fun. But we should talk a little bit about the Mandalorian. Uh some of the some of the a little bit of the history of the Mandalorians as far as um what's kind of come before as far as the Star Wars continuity. Now some of you may know, um, you know, for a long time, there wasn't Star Wars going on. And all we had were the comic books and the novels to, to kind of keep us going, give us our Star Wars fix. And um, it took a little while, but eventually they got around to bringing, bringing back Boba Fett and, and kind of showing more of, of his people and what they're all about. Uh, one, of the, one of the most important uh, writers for this was, uh, in fact, uh, an author named uh, Karen Travis, who wrote the novelization uh, based on the video game for Republic Commando. I don't know if you guys remember that, that PlayStation game, Republic Commando. It was set during the Clone Wars, and you were part of an advanced recon team of clones, and you're out doing good, good, doing good deeds for the Republic against the Separatists. Uh, she wrote a novelization of the game. It actually kind of takes place after the events of the game. No, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm drawing a, it's, it's kind of concurrent to the events of the, of the game because the game ends. Okay. I don't want to spoil it in case anyone wants to go back and play it or read the books, but the, the two things sync up with each other by the end. And it's pretty great the way that all works out. What got even better though, is, uh, the, due to the, the, the good response that the novel got, uh, Karen Travis continued to write books about, about the clone troopers. And, uh, she did some really remarkable stuff as far as, um, just kind of detailing more of the clones' personalities and, and how, you know, yeah, they're, they're clones of Jango Fett, but they're each their own person. They each have their own identities. And part of that identity that was forged with them was, was from a, a Mandalorian who helped train them and instill in them the virtues of the Mandalore. And it's one of those things that just, they don't get into it in the films at all. They're, I guess there's just not that, you know, there's not the no, enough time to follow a clone character around. But because of his of these clones' connections to Jango Fett, this, this, this trainer, 
of theirs, another another Mandalorian, you know, instills Mandalorian virtues and, and, and Mandalorian beliefs and codes into them. Uh, it's 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 fascinating series of books. And then uh, uh, Karen Travis was then allowed to jump into the main timeline and, and can kind of continue the, the the saga of the clones. And this time she was able to incorporate Boba Fett into the mix. And uh, they were fascinating novels. They were really really complex and and just showed how, got you know just the the wrongness of of the Republic using a, an essentially a slave army to fight a war for them. Uh, just really really complex stuff. Really really good. I recommend the novels highly highly highly. And there's some really cool badass stuff in there. Some amazing kick-ass Star Wars kind of stuff. Okay, Tom, interjecting from the future. Our, our my first interruption of the. Of my previous podcast to to offer a bit more of a clarification on what I'm talking about. Those books I'm referencing are no longer considered Star Wars canon. That is now what is referred to as the Legends series of events. Uh, they do not count. Basically, um, Star Wars: The Clone Wars changed quite a bit of quite a few things uh, as far as the clones and their their actual connection to Jango Fett, which is minimal in in the current continuity. The the main continuity of Star Wars. Uh, and I talk a little bit about, you know, so all that stuff with the connection to Boba Fett, to Jango Fett, to Mandalore, no longer in play, necessarily. Uh, and then what I'm about to talk about is how Karen Travis's time doing Star Wars ended, partially because of the, of the Clone Wars. Uh, but I think I, to provide a bit more, more context to it, uh, uh, Star Wars The Clone Wars, I think it was in Season 2, they were going to do Mandalore stuff that completely contradicted what Karen Travis had been writing in these Republic Commando books. So this was the first time that, that Star Wars, the Clone Wars, was uh, sort of providing a, almost a, a contradiction to what was supposed to be canon at that point. And, well, basically Karen Travis would eventually leave the series and leave a, a lot of it uncompleted because it was no longer going to matter in any significant way. And... Uh, you know, there, there's multiple stories about how that all shook out, but you guys can dive into that on the internet if you want to. There's a whole Karen Travis uh, Clone Wars controversy that you can look up if you want to go down that route. So just, again, a little bit more context on uh, what we just talked about and what I'm about to, to, to say on the show as well. Let's get back into it. Um, the, the series never really got to finish, though, because what happened was... Uh, Disney. Disney bought Lucasfilm, and when that happened, uh, the old continuity was going to go away. The, uh, Disney wanted to wipe the slate clean. They were using the Clone Wars animated series uh, as kind of the, the first of their new you know, mythology uh, for the Disney-owned Star Wars. So they were clearing the decks, but the cartoon was counting towards the new canon. So all, all this stuff kind of got pushed off to the side, which, uh, which was unfortunate. There was a lot of great stories not just Karen Travis's stories, but a lot of great stories from Star Wars, uh, uh, history from the novels and from comics, you know, just kind of got brushed away. They're now referred to as uh, the Star Wars Legends series. You may see them at the bookstores, and they have, like, that gold banner that says Legends on them. And that's kind of like the non-canon stuff nowadays. Uh, but there's some good stuff in there still. So when, when Disney launched this new canon, they completely changed around... Uh, a lot of the the history that that Karen Travis and others before her, uh, particularly the guys associated with with writing the role playing game back in the eighties, and and then some of the Marvel comics and D and Dark Horse comics that came out prior to to these Republic Commando novels had had used to kind of give us an idea of of the Mandalore. 
and what the Mandalorians were all about. And um, it was very, very different. Like, like I said, one of the things that I instantly gravitated towards with, with the Karen Travis version of, of the Mandalorians was that it, Mandalorians are not so much a people as they are a, a, a culture, as they are a society. It's not one species dominant. Like anyone could be a Mandalorian if you live by the code, if you live by their, their rule, by their way of life. Um, they, they, uh, they, they, Mandalorian warriors adopt orphan children and bring them into the tribe and make them Mandalorians. It's, it's really, um, fascinating, interesting stuff. And, uh, I, I loved it cause it was so different. It was so radical from some of the other Star Wars, uh, species that we had seen before, you know, this kind of a nomadic tribe of, of warriors with, with, you know, with, with, with a strong code. Yeah. They've been on the wrong side of, of history before they've, they've fought losing battles. They've, they've allied themselves with the bad guys, but they've also allied themselves with good guys at the same time. It just kind of depends on who's in charge of the clans at the time. The quote, and by the way, the, the leader of the, the, the name of the clan leader is the Mandalore. There's a big comma in there somewhere, right? I think after the D and the, before the L Mandalore, um, so it, it's it's fascinating stuff, and and all this kind of stuff, like I said, it got pushed aside for the new continuity. Now, if you started, if you if you're a fan of the, fan of the Clone Wars and you didn't know any of the stuff from the novels, you have a very different version of of what Mandalorian history is. You know, you uh you your first exposure to Mandalore via the the Clone Wars series is a a little three episode arc in the middle of season two that shows Obi Wan Kenobi going to going to Mandalore. And uh, connecting with their their leader, uh, Duchess Satine, who is uh, she herself is a pacifist, but the Mandalorians themselves are pacifists. They've kind of put their um, warrior like ways behind them, and they're trying to live life more peacefully. As like I said, as pacifists, and you know, a generation ago they had banished their warriors to the moon Concordia above the planet, and they they believe they had died off. They hadn't. There, there's a whole Death Watch thing in the in the Mandalorian armor that we're familiar with from Jango and Boba Fett is is makes a comeback, and it, it it's a very different trajectory than what was in in the previous uh, novels. You know, in, in the old canon, the, the the Legends canon, as it was being called. Um, that that new star, that new Mandalorian canon, progressed throughout the run of Star Wars: The Clone Wars. It goes all the way up to the very very end where Mandalore plays a big part, the planet Mandalore and its people play a big part in the conclusion of that series. And it also plays a big part in the sequel series, Star Wars Rebels, which takes place during the time of the Empire, but prior to the events of A New Hope. So Mandalore plays a big part in that. Uh, One of the things we're going to talk about on the show, because it comes up, uh, a, a couple things pop up in this first episode of The Mandalorian that would seem to hint that they are bringing elements from that Karen Travis run, from you know, the, the previous canon into current continuity. And this is something that, that Star Wars has been uh, slowly but cautiously doing, bringing, bringing certain elements from those, those Star Wars legends books and novels and comics and, 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 and incorporating them in maybe a slightly altered way just to kind of tweak it so that it fits the canon continuity that we're also to be taking as the one true continuity. Is that nerdy enough for you guys? I told you it's gonna get real. I got a flow chart over here. You guys, I'll take a picture of it for you. There's there's charts and string, and it's it's just all over the wall. My wife is so pissed. She hates it in here right now. It's disgusting with Mandalorian love everywhere. Um, 
So that's kind of where we're going. And now I'm going to try and, and weave in some of those elements. Like I'm going to point out some of the things on the episode where it's like that's old continuity that they're, they're bringing back in. And I'm going to try and give a little bit of, of, of an explanation of, of, you know, some more details that hopefully will make sense and, and kind of help you guys, uh, if you don't already know it, uh, have a more uh, enriched viewing experience watching The Mandalorian as, uh, as, we, as we plow through. These eight episodes are going to come fast and furious. Episode two uh, is going to be out on Friday morning, so get ready for that. And then, boo, baby. It, I mean, they're going to have this thing wrapped up before Christmas, and I'm going to be smiling until New Year's. I just I can't wait. If, if the first episode is any indication of things, uh, we can, we're going to have a fun fun eight episodes with this show, which is, I think, all the fans really want. I mean, you know, Boba Fett, obviously, infinitely popular. His his aura, his mystique, I think that's going to bring people who are just even casual fans of Star Wars into this. They're like, hey, who's that cool guy with the masked helmet on? He's pretty badass looking. So that's kind of the, the little bit of a history thing I, I want to get into. Again, just as a point of clarification from the future, the old continuity, the old canon... Boba Fett, Jango Fett are connected to the Mandalorians in the new continuity, in the new current canon, a.k.a. the Disney canon, a.k.a. the Clone Wars-based canon. Jango and Boba Fett are not Mandalorians. All right, folks. Let's do it. Let's get into the Mandalore. But here, let's just do one more clip from the episode to officially kick things off. Please lower your blaster. Have them lower theirs first. We have you four to one. I like those odds. <laughs> there it is. Good stuff from our, our main Mandalorian. All right. The Mandalorian Chapter 1 is directed by Dave Fiolini. I don't know why I said Dave Fiolini there. It's act- we all know it's Dave Filoni. I know it's Dave Filoni. Just a, just a misspeak. And I even address it in the next episode. Kind of funny. Who uh, is kind of the man responsible for, for ushering in the new continuity that was on Star Wars The Clone Wars. He was the executive producer. He wrote a lot of the episodes, directed a lot of the episodes for Star Wars The Clone Wars, and he did the same job for uh, Star Wars Rebels, which, again, one of my favorite shows. These are, are fantastic Star Wars shows. While I was bummed to see the continuity get wiped away, I love these shows. Don't get, me, don't get it twisted. Uh, the episode that we watched was written by Jon Favreau, who is also the executive producer of The Mandalorian, and again, these are uh, these are good people to have on your TV show. There's no doubt about that. All right, so let's set the stage for this new world that we're that we're watching here. Um, the The Mandalorian is set in a post Return of the Jedi universe galaxy. Sorry, in the post Return of the Jedi galaxy, and um, the show is very much like a western. Uh, it has a very much a western feel to it. Uh, the Empire is overthrown, but remnants remain, as we start to see, and I think they're going to play a much bigger part as as uh, the series progresses. Um, but it's 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 good to note these things, okay. In case you're not paying super close attention, but I think all of us are paying super close attention to this this program here. So I should mention that you know we're about to dive into the the story here. So I think it's fair to say that the the spoiler alerts are 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 in play. If you have not watched the show yet, uh, you may want to may want to come back later and listen to it after you've had a chance to watch it. You know, get that Disney Plus subscription. What are you waiting for? It's it's totally awesome, and it's super worth it. All right, so let's see. All right, I mean, the show opens the Mandalorian on on a on a, on some planks between uh, iced over lakes, um, and he's tracking his prey, tracking his bounty. He arrives at a small cantina on an ice world 
We're not given the names of the planets. I looked very hard on the internet for names of the planets. Uh, I think they're. I think it's intentionally vague. I think it kind of leans into that Western motif that they're kind of going for, where like the lone gunfighter, where the lone gunfighter. Uh, sort of just rolls into like whatever the nearest town is and, and ambles into the cantina to, you know, get into some kind of a gunfight, which is essentially how the show opens. Uh, we, we see the bounty uh, that the Mandalorian is looking for. He's being harassed by two locals who unwisely turn their attention to the Mando as he begins, and they, and they begin to harass him. They notice he's wearing the Beskar armor. All right, Beskar is going to be a big part of the show. I'm going to talk a little bit more about Beskar later. Uh, a fight ensues, and the Mando makes quick work of the human, and then he bisects the Quarren in the iris of the closing door. Uh, the Quarren is the squid-faced uh, alien guy, just for the record. Um, and that's when he attracts his, his... That's when he comes up... He approaches his prey, his bounty, puts the, puts the bounty puck on the table, which is something I don't think we've really seen before. Um, at least not referred to as a bounty puck. There was something similar in the Star Wars Bounty Hunter video game that was out on PlayStation 2 a million years ago but was so much fun. Uh, I know Roger's been on the show, and we both have kind of gushed about how much we love that video game. And uh, you know, there, there were elements of this show that were kind of like seeing that video game brought to life, which was really, really fantastic. Um, after this, we get, you know, the line that we opened the show with. You know, I can either take you in warm or I can take you in cold. And uh, I thought that was a really strong way to open the show. You know, the Mandalorian doesn't talk much. It's typical of, you know, very reminiscent of, of Boba Fett in, in that sense. You know, uh, you know, a Mando talks through action, not through words. And that's a, a awesome thing. By the way, you're going to hear me say Mando a lot. <laughs> because that is, at least in the Karen Travis world, Mando is, is a very popular abbreviation. Uh, uh, Karen Travis came up with an entire language for the, for the Mando. And uh, I may break into some of it every now and then. Uh, when I really feel like nerdy now, but I want to kind of ease you guys into the nerdiness in case you felt like I threw you into the deep end when, you know, when I was kind of going into that history, it gets so much deeper. It's so much deeper, the nerdery that I, that I have in this brain of mine. I can't remember a lick of anything I learned at at San Diego state, but I still know uh, a a decent chunk of, of Mando. All right. Just cause I mean, like, you know, the, in case I wanted to the one guy who knows it too, we can have a conversation. It's fantastic. Um, so he's, he's, our, our, our hero, the Mandalorian is escorting his, his, uh, bounty back to where his ship is. But like I said, we're on this strange ice world where, where it's just like lakes, just iced over, iced over, iced over. And you you have to walk on these like narrow strips of, of planks, um, to, to get where you need to go. Now, uh, our, our hero needs to get a ride back to his ship. So he approaches, he approaches, uh, a, a Kubaz, who I don't know if, it's possible there's a Kubaz cameo in, in uh, Rogue One. I can't quite remember at this moment. There may have been. But a Kubaz, and for all you big nerds out there who, who may remember, uh, if you remember Garindin from A New Hope, he's the, the long-snouted uh, spy for the Imperials on, on Tatooine. He rats out Obi-Wan and Luke, you know, that they're going to be at... Um, that they're, that they're meeting up with Han Solo at Docking Bay 94. It's crazy. So to see one of those aliens was, was pretty rad. But then also we have to see something totally new. Uh, this long-snooted alien uh, summons a speeder via a flute. It plays with its snout. So that was kind of fun. I mean, my goodness. We've never seen anything like that before. Now, it, the interesting part is this, this, the first speeder that pulls up to take them across the lakes to the, to the, to the ship um, is piloted by a droid. And the first thing out of the Mandalorian's mouth is no droids. 
So I'm, I'm kind of curious, like the aversion to droids, like why does he not trust droids? Is there a whole thing? You know, obviously droids can be reprogrammed. So, I mean, there's just kind of like a natural paranoia about having droids around. We'll get to more droids later. But it was something that, that kind of caught my attention. I was, I was very curious about that because, you know, a lot of times in Star Wars, it's, um, I don't want to say it's kind of become a cliche, but oftentimes in Star Wars, and not just in, in the movies or, in, or the, the TV shows and the animated series or whatnot, or even the video games, uh, it's very common for the heroes to have robot sidekicks with them. So I love the fact that we kind of like dispelled that almost immediately from, from this show, that he, he has some kind of an issue with droids. All right, so we get, they, we, we get a nice little cameo from Brian Posehn as the speeder pilot who does take them after the, 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 the Kubaz summons another ship, another sh- a speeder. Uh, a speeder a little reminiscent to Luke's from A New Hope too, which is a nice little nod in that direction. All right, so we get to the ship. So Posehn takes them to the ship. We hear about these Ravenex, like, because uh, Posehn's kind of scanning the ice, you know, with these, with these uh, look like, like kind of thermal binoculars almost, uh, trying to track these Ravenex. So he pays up, gets the heck out of there, speeder pulls away. The bounty's watching as the speeder pulls away, and that's when a Ravenek crashes through the ice and, and destroys the speeder. And what is a Ravenek? Well, it looks like a giant, giant walrus, basically. I mean, these giant like, tusks come down, and it attacks the ship. It latches onto the ship, and the Mandalorian has to go and deal with that to free the ship from the, the Ravenek. And, you know, this is when I noticed um, something, something that kind of happens quite a bit on, on, in, in Star Wars in particular, but... Uh, Lots of great sound effects from classic Star Wars movies pop up in the show, especially in these opening scenes. Uh, and it was very, very cool to hear some of these awesome scenes. So, or awesome sounds, I should say. So if you, if you want to get a chance when you when you watch it again, because you should watch it again. I've watched it four times. What are you guys doing? Let's watch it again. Let's all get together and watch it together. Wouldn't that be fun? We'll do like a Google Hangout and watch it. I'd be down for that. So, I, again, I like that kind of stuff. That's, again, anything that kind of uh, gives a nice little nod to the original trilogy is always a nice little thing. All right, so our, our, our hero gets away with his bounty in tow, and uh, the bounty starts trying to make small talk, a little chit-chat in the, in the cockpit. The Mando's not talking. That's not what he does. So the bounty makes a, a plea. He's like, i got to go to the bathroom. And you know he's not going to go to the bathroom. But... We do get to see a toilet in the Star Wars universe. I'm pretty sure this is the first toilet we've ever seen in a Star Wars uh, depiction ever. So that's pretty cool. You get to see a space toilet, folks. I, you know, I mean, what, what other shows is showing you space toilets? I can't think of one. So the, 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 the bounty's down below now, and he's kind of messing around. He kind of finds the armory, and uh, he's, he doesn't want anything to do with that. And then he kind of stumbles, you know, he, something catches his eye. He kind of goes towards it, and, and, and what does he find? Oh, and I should say, while he's doing while he's doing this, you know, the the, the bounty is is kind of making idle chit chat, kind of trying to let the the Mandalorian know that you know nothing suspicious is going on down here, everything's a okay down here, and we get a reference to Life Day. I mean, come on, that's deep cuts for Star Wars fans right there. If you're not familiar with Life Day, it is uh, the universally hated. I guess might be the best way to put it. Star Wars holiday special from, God, I think it was like 70, maybe 77, 78, right around that time. Um, you can find it on bootlegs all over the internet, but no one, you know, it, it, it's kind of been disavowed 
by by uh, by by Star Wars by Lucasfilm. Uh, they they admit this is a, a horrible a horrible idea, a horrible mistake. Uh, it's all about getting Chewbacca back for a, a, a I guess like a Christmas like celebration on on Kashyyyk with his Wookiee family. It's got um, oh boy, it's got some singing and B. Arthur and it's, it's a whole thing. Uh, look it up. It's Dark Days. You probably can find it on YouTube. Actually, I'll be honest with you. If you really want to go down that road. Uh, so a, a, a super deep cut reference to Life Day. Shout out to that. I know I talked to Roger. Uh, Roger got a kick out of that as well. And uh, but you know what, the Mando, he's not buying the idle chit chat. So as he's making the references to Life Day, the bounty is seeing racks of people in carbonite hanging suspended in the bay of the ship. I mean, how cool is that? That's when he makes the reference to not making it home in time for Life Day. And the Mando says, I guess not. And he throws him into the portable carbonite freezing unit. And next thing you know, the bounty hanging from whatever it is he's hanging from, frozen in carbonite. Classic bounty hunter move. That's the only way to get their bounties home safe and sound without them trying to kill you on the way. You can't trust the bounty. He's not just going to give up. You don't fuck around with that. You put him in the carbonite. Safety first. Love it. All right, so then we arrive at a new planet. We don't know this planet's name. Again, it kind of keeps that motif going. All we know is we're, we're in the outer rim of, of, of the Star Wars galaxy. You know, we're, we're kind of in these frontier worlds. Again, playing into that Western motif. And our hero goes into another cantina to meet with his uh, a, a bounty hunter guild contact, Grief Cargo, played by the awesome Carl Weathers, which I didn't mention. Our Mandalorian friend is played by the awesome Pedro Pascal, who you may know from Game of Thrones and... Uh, the Kingsman, the second Kingsman movie, and a bunch of other work. He's he's been an impressive actor, and the fact that he took a role where you're not really going to see his face too much is is a uh, pretty pretty darn impressive. So so shout out to to Pedro for for doing that, and I love seeing what he's done so far. I can't wait to see what else he does with this work. All right, so he meets up with Grief Karga again, played by Carl Weathers, representative of the Bounty Hunters Guild. He's collecting his bounties. Now, as he walks into this cantina. You know, the, cam- the camera pans, and we, and we notice uh, various Trendoshans, another alien species you may recognize from, uh, from Empire Strikes Back, one of the bounty hunters on the bridge of the Star Destroyer when, when Darth Vader assembled the bounty hunters to look for Han Solo and Princess Leia. A Trendoshan is the, the big reptilian-looking one. He has the toes hanging over the thing when the Admiral's like, we don't need their scum here. You know, it, awesome stuff. So a group of ter- Trendoshans seems to take note of the Mandalorian's arrival, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see that pans out later on. That uh, that looks like just uh, just kind of like a hint of things to come because the the Trendoshans did not look stoked to see him. All right, so the, the bounty hunters are trying to get paid, but grief only is offering payment in imperial credits. Another thing that I noticed here, um, the Mandalorian does not seem interested in taking imperial credits. Now there could be a lot of different reasons for that. Again, we're in a post return of the Jedi world. He makes reference to the fact that the Empire is gone. But Grief says, well, they still spend. Now, it could be as simple as that, or it could have more to do with the fact that the Empire did some pretty bad things to Mandalore. But some of the worst things that happened to Mandalore at Imperial hands was back in the old canon, the old continuity from the, from the Karen Travis novels and, and that era, those Star Wars Legends books. So to me, that was maybe my first hint that hey, wait, maybe we're starting to get um, a little bit of that old continuity here. Actually, the first reference to the... The, the first hint I got was the, the reference to Beskar. 
but we'll get more into the best guard in, in a little bit. I promise. I promise. So I, I was curious about that. You know, he's not taking those Imperial credits. He accepts instead uh, Calamari Flan, which is like these weird jelly-looking coins. It's very strange. But, uh, you know, those Calamari under the sea and all that. Um, he's looking for more, more bounties. Now, he seems very, very, our, our hero, the, the Mandalorian, seems very um, obsessed, driven to get as many bounties as possible. It seems like he's uh, collecting money for something. You know, he needs as much money as he can get his hands on. But the bounties aren't paying well, you know. The, 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 they, 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 there's a line, he asks Grief how much, you know, what's the, what's the highest bounty that he has, and it's 5,000, and the Mando replies, that's not even enough for gas, or fuel, he says fuel, you know, because he's more sophisticated than I am. So that sets the stage for, for Grief to offer the Mandalorian a once, no, I wouldn't say a once-in-a-lifetime offer, but a, a special contract off the books. It's a face-to-face meeting Called it, they refer to it as a direct commission, which would seem to imply deep pockets. So this is kind of like a big payday, one big score for the Mandalorian here. It looks like he's looking for that sweet payday, and this client might be the guy to give it to him. So the Mandalorian goes to, he's going to go to his meeting, and we get a little bit of a trip around this this kind of strange outpost that he's at. And uh, the first, another kind of nod we get, a first little uh, a glimpse of this world is we see Jawas. Jawas are here. So that's pretty crazy, right? Get to see a Jawa. Different kind of Jawa, not on Tatooine. But they're looking for junk still. Jawas aren't that different. All right, so he gets to the meeting point, And we see, we get even more references, all right? At the, at, the, at the meeting point, at the door, we see an eyeball droid, like the one from Jawa's palace that greets him. The Mandalorian shows him the, the meeting shit. Access is granted. And then we see a, a, a gonk droid. Again, the gonk droid from... The, the from the Sandcrawler in Episode Four in the new, in A New Hope, Gonk, Gonk. You remember Gonk? Come on, don't don't make me be the dork here. You know who Gonk is too. So we see a Gonk droid, which is pretty awesome. Gonk escorts him to the end of the hallway. The door opens to the room, and we see oh, just you know, four stormtroopers casually hanging around. Now these stormtroopers are clearly remnants of a fallen empire. You know, their 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 armors seen better days. There's no shine on them. They're pretty beaten. You see the stormtroopers with their E11 blaster rifles, and uh, yeah, you know it's Star Wars time. You know they're not monkeying around anymore. Uh, so the Mandalorian enters the room, and there's a seated at at a, at a, at a desk is uh, a, a, an Imperial who is referred to as the client. We don't know what kind of Imperial he is. Perhaps he's a moth. Perhaps he's a an Imperial, a former Imperial governor who you know, is out of power. It's clearly, it's clear that these Imperials are, are kind of hiding out. They're, they're laying low. And um, this client, this Imperial client, has a job for the Mandalorian at the behest of a, of a doctor named Dr. Pershing. Uh, except instead of offering, like, the big payday, at least in terms of credits that the Mandalorian's expecting, he's offered payment in Beskar. Now, let's talk about Beskar for a little bit. This is a good point to kind of get into, into this. Uh, Beskar is an iron ore metal that, is a, that was found only and exclusively on Mandalore. In the old continuity, in that Karen Travis Legends canon that no longer exists anymore, the Empire shows up on Mandalore and basically takes it over and strip mines the entire place for Beskar. Because it is, um, 
one of those alloys that, it, or not an alloy, it, it is a metal that is insanely strong. It is one of the few metals that can easily repulse blasters, which we see in the show, but it can also repel lightsaber blows. Again, very, very handy, uh, especially if you're a Mandalorian warrior who likes to engage in combat with Jedi Knights, as some of the old mythology and stuff would imply. So Beskar is, is not only insanely valuable, it is insanely valuable to a Mandalorian. It is, it is, it is from their homeworld, a place that they were in the old canon, again, displaced from. Um, so another sign that, that the, perhaps we're weaving some of this old canon back into Star Wars mythology. Um, there is some really great stuff with Besker that comes up in, in some of those, like I, said, like I mentioned, those Karen Travis novels, uh, particularly in, in, the, um, in the Luke Skywalker era novels that they, that they get into where, where uh, Boba Fett forges gauntlets made of Besker so he's able to grab lightsaber blades. It's fucking awesome. Um, and Besker obviously playing a huge role in this show. I, I was going back through some of the old episodes of uh, Star Wars, uh, Star Wars: The Clone Wars, and uh, Star Wars Rebels, and I couldn't find any references to Besker in the in the episodes I was able to watch before recording this show. I'm still kind of investigating, but I do I do feel like Besker is this is the first reference to the metal since the old canon was kind of wiped away. If I'm wrong on that, let me know. I'm still investigating that, but this is what's in my mind right now. It's like they don't refer to Besker at any other point on Rebels, on the Clone Wars. So again, another sign to me that they're, they're, they're bringing in some of that old continuity and, and, and kind of uh, fitting it in to the new canon. So, and it, it seems to jive because uh, uh, the, this Mandalore seems to have a grudge against Imperials. He seems to have a connection to the metal. He seems quite stoked on getting the, his hands on the metal. So he agrees to take the job for, with the Imperial client for a container full of Besker. But he gets a down payment of, of a small square of Besker, which is, um, like I said, it's, it's insanely valuable, but the value to a Mandalorian warrior is even more so because now he's able to use it to forge more, uh, more uh, armor and weapons to use for his, for his quests that, he, that he's on. And again, he's taking jobs as a bounty hunter, but I suspect that uh, he's really has an overall goal that we aren't aware of just yet. Probably not that not that hard to figure that one out, right? <laughs> so after leaving that meeting, and uh, at that meeting is where we get that second sound clip that we heard before we lead into the show about the, I like those odds. Um, again, great exchange there. Good times. When the Mandalorian talks, it's, the words mean a lot. So always remember that. Okay, so after the meeting with the client, the Mando heads to, uh, the Mandalorian heads, heads to an, in, an enclave, basically, um, and it's a place where other Mandalorians are, you know, a handful of other Mandalorians playing, um, it seems like they're kind of just killing time, biding their time, you know, playing a couple games here and there, just kind of surviving. Like, it looks like they're kind of laying low as well. Uh, it's hard to say what's going on there exactly. We're not, you know, I'm sure we'll get more information about that as, as the show kind of plays out. So the Mandalorian ar- arrives and has, he's meeting with the armorer. And the armorer, he presents the Besker to the armorer who forges him a new pauldron, which is a, a piece of shoulder armor. Now, again, we're, we're talking about some of the old Mandalorian lore here that's from, from, the, from the Legends canon that doesn't count anymore. But there was, um, part of that old canon was that the, the Mandalorian armorer was 
the only person who could forge the Besker armor, that it was a, a closely guarded secret, and, um, you know, it was, it was forbidden for them to share that technique, the, that knowledge with outsiders who were not of, of, the, of the clans. And, again, I don't know how much of that continuity we're getting to, into, how much of that we're going to use. So, I mean, obviously the, the Empire is able to do something with the Besker because they've, they've shaped it into these, these, these little square little chips. So I don't know, again, there's, there's seven more episodes to go. It's going to play out. But it was interesting to see a Mandalorian armor who is a, uh, a, a, a high-ranking member of, of the Mandalorian society. Um, and again, so you're getting little peeks into that, into that cool society. And now what happens is, so the armor forges this new pauldron. And as it is presented and, and placed on the Mandalorian, our hero, uh, she makes reference to the fact that the excess Vesker will go a long way to, uh, to helping sponsor many foundlings. That was important to me as well because, again, in that old continuity, many Mandalorians are orphans who are rescued by Mandalorians. And they become Mandalorians because of their adopted fathers or mothers. And... Um, that's not something that's in that new continuity from Clone Wars, from Star Wars Rebels. So a reference to foundlings, again, made my ears kind of perk up. I'm like, oh my gosh, is this another little something-something to the old canon, to the old continuity? Are, are, we, are we bringing more things in? And, and so I, I got really excited about that. Again, like I said, being a, being a Mandalorian is, is, is more about uh, sharing in a culture than it is uh, sharing... Uh, sharing uh, uh, genetics or sharing DNA, you know, you can you can be more to Mandalorian, but Mandalorians are are made, you know, they're they are discovered. It's it's the strength from within kind of thing, and uh, again, that's the, I love that I love that so much. So again, a little a little note that I, that these are the things I'm paying attention to as I'm watching the show. All right, so we get the new pauldron. We advance the story. We're the, he's the Mandalorian is now on the job and he's going off to find the bounty for the client. We meet up with an Ugnaught named Kuil. I know I said that wrong, but it's an Ugnaught. He's like an Ugnaught rancher. He's kind of crazy. He's a little weird. Not crazy. He's a little weird. He's played by, or at least voiced by Nick Nolte, which was uh, very interesting. And this Ugnaught rancher, Kuil, uh, uh, helps the Mandalorian by, uh, by, by putting down a couple of these wild blurg. Um, cause, because when, he, when, when the Mandalorian arrives on planet, he's scoping the situation out, and he gets attacked by these two Blurg. And uh, they kind of handle him. <laughs> so, you know, as, as much excellent fighting prowess as we've seen from the Mandalorian in the opening of the show, uh, you know, may, you know may, maybe he's still got a few things to learn, you know? Uh, maybe, or maybe he's just not good with animals. I don't know. We'll figure that out. So uh, the Ugnaught uh, offers to guide the Mando because the, he wants these... This this band of, of of criminals off his planet because his planet's supposed to be like peaceful and quiet and, and you know uh, a place to come to find yourself kind of situation. So he helps the Mando to get these guys off the planet, and the Mando has to learn how to ride a blur though because apparently it's the only way to to, to traverse the terrain, which is why he has to guide him in the first place. So the Mando learns how to do that, and you know there's a fun little exchange between between. Uh, the Mando and in, in, in the in the in before they move on and do their thing. We get to the outpost where the where the bad guys are holed up and the bounty's waiting. And from an observation post above 
the Mando's observing, kind of counting numbers, figuring out his plan of approach, when all of a sudden you just hear a clunk, 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 and a bounty droid arrives on the scene. IG-11, played by the awesome Taika Waititi, who uh, was so stoked that he got to play a droid that he's been on Twitter talking about it nonstop. And uh, he plays a pretty fantastic droid, I'm not going to lie. So the droid uh, cites the Bondsman Guild protocols, the, the quote-unquote writ of seizure. Um, and again, I, I want to emphasize, it's so cool to see an IG unit in action. We, we've, we, we got a glimpse of an IG unit, um, again, on the bridge in Empire Strikes Back when Darth Vader's assembled the bounty hunters to look for Han and Princess Leia. You know, and you know, if you're an uber nerd like me, you, you've, the only other time you've really seen a, an IG droid do anything has been in comic books, which are wonderful, but static. You know, you don't get to, you get to see the way they move. And, and to see IG-11 move in the way he fights and does combat is awesome. We got a glimpse of it in the trailer, but when you really get to watch the whole thing play out, it's really stellar and, 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 and awesome. The way that he's able to swivel, I say he, but it's a droid, but the way, the way it's able to swivel and complete like 360 degree coverage is, is pretty damn impressive. So obviously these, these bounty hunting droids are uh, pretty damn effective. Now, the Mando comes crashing in, and they, they, they agree to a team-up to split the profits because, well, it just was helpful for the story. No, I mean, let's come on, let's be honest. The IG hadn't done anything yet. The, yes, the writ of seizure had been processed, but he hadn't captured the bounty yet, so it seemed reasonable to the droids to team up with the Mandalorian so they could take out the bad guys who were now holed up. They took defensive positions. They were regrouping. Counterattack was coming. From, from the baddies, from, from these, these, these villains that were held up on the planet. It's, so the counterattack comes, and we get to see the Mando and the IG-11 fight, fight the bad guys in a cool, cool way. Now, I want to mention, too, I, I tried to get some more details on uh, the weaponry that, that, the, that the Mandalorian is using in the show. He has a blaster, uh, a hand blaster, a small one. It looks very reminiscent of the, of the, of the style Hand, hand blaster used by Jango Fett in Attack of the Clones. The sound it emits is similar, but I didn't think it was quite the same. Um, I'm, I'm hoping some more details will come out on the kind of specs that, that the Mandalorian is using on the show. I'm going to try and pay more attention to, to the weaponry um, in the next episode. It was, it, I've, like I said, I've watched it three or four times, and it was, it was kind of hard to tell if it's, the same, if it's the exact same model gun or just something very similar. But it's, it's a handgun, not a, not a uh, Boba Fett blaster rifle or anything like that. So again, we get a great uh, battle scene here. The IG unit keeps trying to self-destruct, and, and, and um, you know, the Mandalorian keeps telling him not to. Like, hey, this isn't over. We, get, we still got plenty to fight here. Uh, but it, it's funny to see this like, thermal detonator just pop out of the, uh, the IG unit's chest. He's like, okay, I'm going to kill myself now. Uh, a great scene happens with the, the arrival of the hover cannon. The Mando's able to able to use his uh, grappling hook, get that thing spun out, shoot the pilot, and then uh, take the take that hover cannon for a spin of his own and just mow everybody down. And that's when uh, the Mando and the IG unit are able to using that cannon blast into the the, the hardened bunker and locate the bounty. Again, I, we're going to spoil it because I, the, you know, unlike the Watchmen shows where I I, I feel compelled to kind of help keep the mystery alive to to a, a, as much of an extent as I can. Uh, this show's up on Front Street. You know, uh, there, there's no mystery here. Like, like, it's like, ooh, who's the bounty? They show you the bounty in the show. <laughs> we kind of have to talk about it. It's kind of a big deal. It's going to kind of be the crux of the show moving forward. So I do, have, I do feel compelled 
to issue one more warning. If you do not want to know about the bounty, now is the time. The bounty, and by the way, the bounty, I also mean the asset. So this is the last warning. I'm going to say what, what's happening here. So, you know, five, four, three, two, one. They enter the bunker. They kill the last remaining bad guy. The Mandalorian, with his tracker, finds uh, like a floating little egg-shaped unit. And he's a little surprised because it looks very much like something you would keep a baby in. So he opens it up. Sure enough, it's something you keep a baby in. But wait, what kind of baby is that? Oh, the kind with, with, with three fingers on its hand. And long, pointyish elf ears sticking out from its sides of its head. And it's green with big, round eyes. That's right. It's a baby Yoda. It's a little baby Yoda. Okay, not, not Yoda, but Yoda's species. You know, uh, a species that we've only ever really seen. We've, we've seen Yoda. Uh, in Phantom Menace, we saw Yaddle. And if you're, if you're a, a big fan of the video games, uh, you remember Knights of the Republic, and they had uh, Vandar Toker, the Jedi Master, from that video game was of Yoda's species. Yoda's species has been one of the most... Um, I don't know if guarded is the right word. It's just something that no one's ever been allowed to go into. It's, it's like George Lucas's big secret. And now that he's not in charge anymore, I guess we're going to get to play around with, with Yoda's species to a certain extent. I don't know how much we're going to get involved in, in, into, the, into the species or if it's just, I, you know, I don't know. I don't, know. I, I don't want to, again, I, I kind of hate speculating. But it, the, ooh, that was a cute baby. I'm not going to lie. That Yoda baby is cute. So we, get, we have to ask ourselves some questions now. You know, whose baby is this? Question number one. Uh, why is it being held uh, by, the, by these, uh, these, these killers and assassins and bad guys? You know, wh- what's, what's the deal with that? Why does this Dr. Pershing want the baby? And why is he working with this imperial person who's referred to as the client, all right, played by Werner Herzog, by the way? Um, so, so why is Pershing teamed up with this imperial person? What's going on here? We have a lot of mysteries they're not going to be big mysteries. It's, it's Star Wars. You know, it's not like a detective story. So don't don't worry about that. We're going to get answers pretty quickly. And uh, if you've paid attention to any of the of the uh, pre-show promotional stuff, I mean, we know Gian Car- Gian Carlo's character, Giancarlo, Giancarlo Stanton. My God, Giancarlo Esposito's character is forthcoming, and he's an Imperial moth with all kinds of Death Troopers and Stormtroopers at his his disposal. He obviously has a vested interest in the in the Yoda baby. But we don't know the connections. We don't know any of that stuff yet. Um, what's pretty cool is the way this episode ends. We see the Yoda baby. IG-11 wants to kill the Yoda baby and collect the bounty and call it a day. Uh, the Mandalorian is not going to let that happen. As, as we've established, as they establish in the show, the Mandalorian himself is, is, is a foundling, is, is, is an orphan. So he sees this orphan child, and he sees something of himself, I think, you know, of... of, of as of of an of a innocent person who's about to be killed by a terrifying, terrifyingly large, skinny robot. And so, uh, so the Mandalorian, Mandalorian does the only thing he can do. He kills the, well, kills is, again, a strong word. He terminates, he ends the existence of the IG-11 robot. A nice little shot to the head. And that's uh, actually the clip we're going to use to play to end, end the show today. So I'm going to play that for you guys, too, because it's pretty cool. Um... Again, I didn't go into some of the some of the details, like some of the ways that the the client tricks 
eh, trace is a strong word, but misleads the Mandalorian into accepting this bounty because, uh, you know, he says that he's looking for the, the, the bounty, the asset that they're, they're trying to collect is, is, is 50 years old. This baby apparently is 50 years old. But as we know, Yoda's age very, very differently than, than humans do. So uh, he's, he's rather, uh, the Mandalorian is rather surprised to find a baby at the very, very least. Um, and the way this show ends with the, the terminated IG-11 unit on the floor, the Mandalorian raising his, 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 his hand with his finger extended towards the baby, and you see the baby's hand rising up to maybe grab the Mandalorian's finger. And it doesn't quite happen before the credits roll. Um, but the, the, the first thing that popped in my mind was, oh my gosh, they're going to do Lone Wolf and Cub. And I couldn't tell you how fucking blown away I was with, with the idea of that because uh, Lone Wolf and Cub, for anybody who's not familiar with it, is uh, this wonderful series from, J- from Japan. Of uh, it, It's a comic strip, basically. It's, it's been collected a couple different times in the States here. You can find it. It was written by, uh, by Kazuo, Kazuo Kiyoki and drawn by Gaseki Kojima. Uh, it's considered a classic. It, it is the story of a, of a, of a lone ronin samurai um, on the run from a warlord with, with a baby in tow. It's, um, it was also a bunch of uh, Japanese films as well that you can watch. It's utterly fantastic. The, the graphic novels are uh, amazing. It, it's uh, prim, primo storytelling at its best. And... I, again, this was the first connection I made here. You have the lone warrior, the gunslinger, the lone, the lone gunslinger in a way. Now with this baby that I assume he's going to want to protect because he just killed a droid. Well, I, I keep saying killed a droid. Not quite the way it works. He just <laughs> exterminated a droid in order to save that baby's life. So it doesn't seem like he's going to be turn, returning that baby to the client anytime soon, which can only lead to more bad things for the Mandalorian, more trouble to get into. Uh, so yeah, the lone wolf and cub comparison seemed, uh, pretty, pretty apparent and pretty apropos to me. Uh, and what's also cool about that is, I mean, thinking back to, again, you go back to the original star Wars to, you know, a new hope and, uh, much of the structure of a new hope is owed to another Japanese film, uh, the hidden fortress from Akira, from directed by Akira Kurosawa, one of Kurosawa's, uh, you know, five, 10 best films. It's it's fantastic, and again, a lot of that structure from the Hidden Fortress, uh, George Lucas used for A New Hope. It just makes a certain amount of sense that we tie in those 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 uh, Japanese film elements that are so influential in in Star Wars, because that's something that I don't think he's really been given a nod to in 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 quite a while. But a lot of Star Wars roots are in Kurosawa films, in in Japanese cinema. You know, remember Lucas himself. A big cinemaphile. I mean, he the, he loved samurai movies. He loved the the movies of of Akira Kurosawa. So it makes a certain amount of sense that John Favreau would would realize that and kind of structure his Mandalorian show kind of the same way. Again, I could be wrong. Maybe this goes a complete different direction. But I really like the idea of this lone wolf and cub thing. You know, the the lone Mandalorian protecting the Yoda baby from from the evil Imperial warlords who are out to get him. Now, why are they out to get him? Why do they want this baby? Again, these are the questions we have to wait for. Um, but we're going to find out. We're going to start getting answers very, very soon. And uh, I, can't, I can't wait to, to talk more about that. Now, 
that's pretty much where I want to end things. Um, I, the only thing I didn't mention was the army of bad guys seem to consist mostly of Klaatus and Nictos, which you may remember from uh, a lot of those guys were uh, the kind of guards in, at, in Return of the Jedi that Luke and Han shoot off of the sand barge and stuff like that. Um, they're just, they kind of play common thugs throughout the Star Wars universe. Star Wars Galaxy, if you want. Um, so that was interesting. But again, so much good stuff to start with. I, I feel like uh, we, we are off on a strong, real strong start for this show. Like I said, we have The Mandalorian played by Pedro Pascal. The client is Werner Herzog. The armorer was played by Emily Swallow. Grief was Grief Karga, Carl Weathers. IG-11 was Taika Waititi. I'm assuming he's done with his part for the show. But we got a lot more people coming on the show. You guys, if you're paying attention on the internet, you know, you've seen the casting. You've seen uh, what actors are going to be coming into the show. We don't know much about the characters. A lot of the show is like very, very uh, hidden, you know, and I like that. I like knowing that we're going to be able to watch something and not have it ruined for us, which I'm very excited by. Real quick review the questions we have to ask. Whose Yoda baby is that? Why does the, why does the Empire have a Yoda baby? What do they want to do with the Yoda baby? Why does, does Dr. Pershing uh, so, so interested in this Yoda baby, getting the Yoda baby back alive? I just like saying Yoda baby, baby. But let's also ask the questions about our Mandalore. Who is our Mandalore? You know, what connections does he have to the events going on in the show, in the Star Wars galaxy at large? Uh, apparently his identity is, is obviously a mystery, mystery to us, um, but there is that scene with the armorer where she asks if his sig- sigil has been revealed yet, to which he replies no, and her response is something along the, uh, along the lines of, soon it will be, or it will be soon, something along those lines. So his identity will probably factor into this show at some point and have some kind of connection to uh, other characters as we meet them as the show progresses. So that'll be interesting to see. I've seen a couple of people float the idea that the Mandalorian is actually just Boba Fett, um, which I will say right now I believe is total garbage. And if they were to go that route, I would, uh, you would hear my eyes roll across the Internet. So I'm, I'm calling it now. It ain't Boba Fett. If you read those theories, you can laugh at them as loudly as I have been. Uh, not Boba Fett. Is there a connection to the Fets? Maybe. We'll have to find that out. But not Boba Fett. I'm going to wrap the show up now because i got to edit it, and I want to put it out tonight. It's going to be available tonight to listen to. So you'll have it first thing... Well, I mean, whenever you listen to your podcast, it's going to be ready for you. Because on Friday, we got to get a new episode watched. And i got to get a new podcast recorded, if not Friday, then on Saturday. Because we got to keep this train rolling, baby. We got a long Mandalorian flight to haul. I don't know if that makes sense, but whatever. Mandawade, right? Yeah, a couple of you know what I just said. Oh, boy. All right. Like I said, get ready for some true dorkness because this is where my, 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 my nerd flag flies the highest, talking about Star Wars and particularly talking about Mandalorians and Mandalorian culture. So happy the show's here. Oh, oh, it's a great day to be a Star Wars fan. Um, it might even be a great day to be a fan of everything super cool because Disney Plus is here. And so far, it's today's day two as I'm recording this, and it, uh, it seems like they got a lot of the bugs worked out in that first day. I've been going through watching some Clone Wars. I set up my profile. I can't wait to get into this app. There's still some glitches. There's still some weird things in there. They're going to work it out. I don't care, though. I got the Mandalorian on a Friday. Friday, you and I, we all have a date on Friday. Let's get back. Let's talk. What else I got for you guys? Oh, Let's just close it up. Follow on the social medias, if you don't mind, at TomCast underscore PopCast on Twitter, at the TomCast underscore PopCast on Instagram, 
and email uh, at TomCastPopCast at Gmail. And uh, if you guys are if you guys are a fan, want to help out, make a make a generous uh, contribution to keep the show going as best as we can. Uh, head over to patreon.com forward slash TomCastPopCast. You can sign up and become a member of Pophead Nation. It's a pretty cool place to be. I like being there. It's a lot of fun, especially on days like today where I get to talk about Star Wars. Oh, oh, it's been a long time coming. I feel like we've been talking about this show for a long time, and it's finally, finally here. All right, guys, let's wrap it up, but not before we thank our current Patreons, the Aspen Hill Chody and the spectacular Brian Broussard. Thank you, guys. Thank you, to, thank you to, for joining Pophead Nation. That's all the information I got for you. We'll close it out with one more awesome sound clip from the episode. Other than that, ciao, babes. Wait. They said 50 years old. Species age differently. Perhaps it could live many centuries. Sadly, we'll never know. No. We'll bring it in alive. The commission was quite specific. The asset was to be terminated. Hey, and there it is. That was our first episode that we did way back uh, November 12th, I believe is the day I recorded that episode, uh, reviewing, recapping the first episode of The Mandalorian, Chapter 1, The Mandalorian. Uh, it was kind of fun to listen back. I interjected a few times at the beginning there, but uh, I kind of got on a roll uh, at a certain point. I was like, well, you know what? I can just address a certain some stuff after the fact, after that episode was done. Um, it was interesting to listen back and... and See, you know, we we talk about, or I talked about, uh, the Mandalorian's uh, aversion to to droids at the beginning of the episode, where he tells the the shuttle, uh, the the speeder piloted by a droid to move on. He's got no business there. That's addressed later in the show. We know that now. Uh, again, the the references to the holiday special. Apparently, that's that's a big influence on on John Favreau. He really gets a kick out of the holiday special to a certain degree, as as more things, particularly the the the, the Ambin Phase Pulse Rifle. Uh, is part of the Mandalorian's weaponry. Uh, you know, I, I speculated a little bit about the uh, about the Mandalorian's blaster, and I've you know I couldn't find any details. I mean, it's been gosh months now since that episode. But the only thing I could really find was this, is a modified heavy blaster. Uh, hopefully, at some point in the near future, maybe, maybe prior to season two, we'll get one of those uh, visual dictionaries that'll kind of go a little bit more in depth on on the specifics of the weapon types that, that the Mandalorian employs. And we'll talk more about his weapons as the show progresses because he gets more, and we see more of them as the show goes on too, which is pretty cool. Uh, let's see. I made a few more notes. The Dislike of Droids, the holiday special. Uh, I wanted to mention too, you know, I, I we knew at the time of the filming of season one that, yes, Pedro Pascal was going to be the Mandalorian, uh, but I think we also knew, judging by the timeline, that you know all this stuff had come out all these these still images of the Mandalorian like walking through sceneries uh, came months and months prior to to knowing that Pedro Pascal would be, would be doing the voice of the Mandalorian, and and 
being the Mandalorian too. He's also he suits up. But I wanted to give credit to uh, to Brendan Wayne and to uh, Latif Crowder, who are the other two Mandalorians in in who who also don the helmet uh, for certain scenes for certain things. You know, uh, uh, Brendan Wayne does a lot of the the walking, the stalking from scene to scene. You know, when it's not Pedro. And Latif does a lot of the fight stuff. So uh, it's a real collaborative effort between uh, three actors to bring one character to life, which is really, really cool. And I wanted to make sure to mention that. Uh, I did want to mention the Blurgs. You know, we see the Blurgs in this. Uh, Blurgs debuted in the in the animated series. They de- debuted in the Clone Wars. I wanted to make sure I mentioned that again. Uh, and something we can talk about now that we couldn't talk about before uh, is that since season one of The Mandalorian wrapped up on Disney+, Plus, uh, they've done the behind-the-scenes documentary series on The Mandalorian, where if you guys have not had a chance to check that out, if you guys and gals, I should say, have not yet had a chance to check out that uh, behind-the-scenes, I think it's called Disney Visionaries, is the the overarching title of it, and it's The Mandalorian. I think it's six or seven episodes. Uh, It's a really fascinating behind-the-scenes look at everything they did to bring the series to life, and and, and some of the just revolutionary technology that, that they're using to create the impressive visuals of, of the series all right i think with that I, I think i've covered everything i wanted to to, to uh, sort of address i thought you, i hope you guys enjoyed that kind of uh, fun look back if you're a new listener if this is your first time listening to me on a podcast i hope uh, i hope i met expectations uh, maybe maybe luckily maybe i would hopefully exceed expectations but i'll, I'll settle for meeting them <laughs> and uh, uh i hope you guys will come back and, and try more as we as we kind of catch back up on the Mandalorian and where we are with the adventures of, of, of Din Djarin. And, uh, you know, season two, it's right around the corner. If you if you are a listener who's listened to these episodes on the TomCast podcast, I thank you for listening to them again. I hope you kind of enjoy this look back, and, and I hope you... I hope it's getting you guys... I hope it's getting everybody excited for, for the continued adventures of Baby Yoda and the Mandalorian, because I think that's all what we're really excited about. Um, what else do I have for you guys? I think that's it. In the last section of the show, I mentioned some of the the social media links for the Tomcast podcast. Now, those are actually mostly changed now. Uh, Tomcast podcast can be found on social media at Tomcast podcast on Instagram and Twitter. No more underscores and spaces in between them. The G- the the Gmail address is still the same. Tomcast podcast at gmail And if anyone wants to check out the Tomcast podcast, we are always looking for new people to check us out. Is that is the podcast where we talk about all things pop culture. We talk about comic books and comic movies, the MCU. Uh, we get into all kinds of just fantastic things. It's just, it's just a, a wider spectrum of the pop culture universe that we cover on the TomCast podcast. So come on over and check that show out too if you like this one. And I, at the very least, I hope you come back for uh, next week's Chapter 2 of The Mandalorian, The Child, where we start to see and learn a little bit more and fall more madly in love with Baby Yoda. I also wanted to apologize real quickly because uh, in some of the interjected voice clips that I did, you will notice a distinct jackhammering behind me as I'm talking, and that's because uh, they are currently tearing apart the road that I live on while I recorded a podcast. So I hope that wasn't too jarring, um, but hopefully it won't be going on next week. All right, that's all I got for you this week. Thank you so much for listening to this first episode of MandoVision. Uh, we're not going anywhere. we got a lot of Star Wars to talk about. There will always be Star Wars in our lives. And remember, this is the way. The Beskar belongs back into the hands of a Mandalorian. 
It is good to restore the natural order of things after a period of such disarray. Don't you agree?